Good morning. How are y'all doing this morning? Well, it's good to see you. Grab your Bibles today. Turn to the book of Acts. Today is our last day in our series through the book of Acts. We will teach through chapter 20 this morning. And you say, well, there's much more after that. That's true. That's for the next time. We knew that we would never get through all of Acts. It was never our intent to have an exhaustive teaching with you through that. But yet we are at the end of it, and I'm excited about sharing with you this morning about encouragement. In fact, uh, I chose the title, Much Encouragement, and we're going to find that actually in the text as we read that in a, in a moment together. But when we think of encouragement, what we think of is, uh, well, we think of words is, is what we think of. We think of things like, um, keep up the good work, uh, you know, phrases like, uh, that was a nice try, good effort. Uh, things like, that's a real improvement, you've really improved uh, you're on the right track, you've almost got it, don't give up, come on, you can do it, and give it your best shot. We think of things like that. And I thought, well, you know, there are also times that we try to encourage people in life, and we don't always say the right thing, or it doesn't always come out the, right, the way we should think it should. So I looked through, you know, Google, and, and I thought, well, what are some things that would be like we would think they were encouragement, they just don't sound like encouragement. And, and so I, I found a few quotes, I share them with you, and, and, and a few of them, here's the one, I think it says, people say nothing is impossible, but I do nothing every day. That's Winnie the Pooh. I always like quoting Winnie the Pooh because I think it's kind of interesting. Yeah. The other one was this, I thought this, bad decisions make good stories. I don't know if I would live by that, okay? I, I really don't. And uh, Benjamin Franklin says this, a great encouragement. Um, I didn't fail the test. I just found a hundred ways to do it wrong, okay? And so I, I like that one, but I, I get to the end of these that I, that I actually print off the end. Oh, here they are. These are the ones I really like. And um, here's one. It says, it, it could be that your purpose in life is to serve as a warning to others. I, I don't know if that's a good way to live. I don't. <laughs> but maybe some of you have lived that way in life. I don't know, you know. Uh, the other one I found was, if the world didn't suck, we'd all fly into space. And I, that, you have to really think about that for a moment, okay? Give that some thought. It's, it's really true. It is, yes. Yes, and I found another one that says this, always remember that you are unique just like everybody else. And, and so, well, I, I thought that was kind of interesting. And there was another one, um, and if I remember correctly, I'll try to say it from memory, and that is that life, uh, life is like a sewer. You get out of it what you put into it, okay? And so I, I thought, well, I would just leave you with that one, okay? Because I thought that was an interesting one also. But, but when we read this text together... And we're going to find the words encouragement here as we begin through Paul's writings. That is Paul just talking about phrases? Is that what he's talking about? Is he just saying, is it the attaboy pat on the back kind of thing? Is that what he is, he's getting to? Is, is that what he means in these texts about encouragement? So we read together this morning, started with Acts chapter 20 and verse 1. It says, after the uproar ceased, because remember, as we have worked our way, or maybe you've not been here, through the book of Acts, that seemingly that everywhere Paul goes on his journey or most places, he causes a riot. He causes an uproar. So the same in Ephesus. So after the uproar ceased, Paul sent for his disciples and after encouraging them. I underline that because as I begin to read this text over and over, that I, I, I underlined a lot of things. This stands out to me. And after encouraging them, he said farewell, departed to Macedonia, 
And when he had gone through those regions and given them much encouragement, I underlined that again. So I know from study over the years that when the Bible begins to be repetitive in text, that, that there is a reason. It's for emphasis. It says, hey, look at this and listen to this. He came to Greece and there he spent three months. And when a plot was made against him by the Jews, again, he always causes trouble preaching the truth. He was about to set sail to Syria and he decided to return through Macedonia. And so, so Pator, the um, Berean son of Pyrrhus, uh, accompanied him. And the Thessalonians, um, Aristarchus, these are really interesting names. I'll tell you why they're here in just a moment. And, and Secundus and Gaius of Derby and Timothy and the Assyrians to Chias. And it gets worse. Okay, so hang on. And Trophimus, uh, these went on and ahead were waiting for him in Troas. But he sailed away from Philippi after the days of unleavened bread. And in the five days he came to them at Troas, where he stayed for seven days. Now, let me tell you something. As we've read all these, you know, over the past weeks together in the book of Acts, that it seems like Paul is somewhat of a name dropper, you know, because he likes to mention everybody, or Luke does, I should say, as he is writing this and talking about Paul's journeys. And so what we realize is this, if you understand it, that this is for context. This is for those that would be reading these texts during that time. It's for context because they either know these individuals or they know the places that Paul has travel, traveled. And so it, it kind of gives them something to hang on to. You and I, well, those names do not mean a great deal, nor do some of the titles or places that he has traveled. But yet it's for them to hang on to. So it's for context where they're there for a reason. So the first thought that I had in reading this about encouragement is a ministry of encouragement. Paul begins this journey back to Jerusalem. It's the end of his third journey. He's heading back to Jerusalem. He wants to return back to Jerusalem by Resurrection Day, by that of the celebration of Passover. Things have settled down in Ephesus now, and he decides to leave and return to Macedonia. Before he does, he calls the disciples together for these moments of encouragement. And then as he works his way through Macedonia, working his way back to Jerusalem, he again meets with those people those disciples of his, and he encourages them. In fact, the word used there in his phrase is much encouragement. He's speaking the gospel. We know this through his travels. He's speaking the gospels of both Jews and Greeks. He is. He's teaching them. He's defending the gospel. We talked about a few weeks ago, and, and Matthew did a great job of that, that when he goes to Mars Hill before the Epicureans and the Stoics, that he defends the gospel before them, these great philosophers. He's planting churches. God is working through his life in miracles. We talked about that last week, how they take his clothing, they cut him up in squares, they take his apron, they cut it up, they give it to the sick, and, and they are healed. He's causing riots and unrest. He's affirming and confirming disciples. And now we come to this point where we see this ministry in his life of that of, uh, of encouragement. Yes. But what I realize is this, as I begin to read through this, it's more than just an attaboy. You know, it's, it's more than just a pat on the back. It's more than just a phrase that you might come up with that you think is catchy to kind of make someone's day better. It's more than that. Yes, the word that he uses here in the Greek is about affirming words. It's about those kinds of things, but it's even more. It's a deeper word that he uses here because the word basically means to you and I, the word that he uses for encouragement here means to call to one side. That's what it means. It means to call to one side. It means to come alongside. And what he's saying to those is he's departing that of Ephesus and Macedonia. He's saying, hey, I may not be here with you any longer physically. Understand that. 
You may not be able to touch me any longer or hear my voice, you know, other than my writings, but I'm still walking this journey with you spiritually, is what he's saying. Even though I've introduced you to your faith, that my physical presence is not essential for your faith to continue. So I want you to be encouraged that these are not surface relationships with these people that he's talking to. Understand that. And what Paul does, he models for you and I this thought, this concept about walking out this journey of life with others, both physically and spiritually. <clears throat> because what this is about, this is about community. It's, you know, you say, well, yeah, I, I understand community. I have a lot of friends. And I want to tell you something about friendship and community because they're not always the same thing. Because if our ultimate goal is just to have friends in life, then I don't believe that we have modeled what Paul is modeling for us in the book of Acts. Because he has this ministry of encouragement, which simply means he walks life together with people. And we don't always do that with all of our friends, do we? We don't. No. It's about walking out life together. Because if our goal in life, if we think that the Bible is just simply admonishing us to have a bunch of friends and to be friendly, well, that's part of what the Bible says, yes. In order to have friends, you must first show yourself friendly. We understand that. But what Paul is saying here, this is a different level. This is something completely different. This word encouragement that he's talking about, it simply means to call somebody to your side. It's about walking life together, and that is truly about community, which the Bible talks to us about. And so when I begin to think about walking life together with someone, my mind came to that, that verse in the book of Ecclesiastes chapter 4 and verse 9. And I love it because Solomon gives us some advice about walking together in the body of Christ. Here's what he says in, in a class, I can say it in a moment. Ecclesiastes 4 verse 9, two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. But if they fall, one will lift up his fellow, but woe to him who is alone. And when, I, when I've always visualized this verse, because the Bible is written for us to read it with imagination, so I visualize this verse over the years, and what I realize is I see the two, two people, they're walking down a street, they're walking down a path together, and when one stumbles, the other one picks the other one up. But it says, it goes on to say, but woe to him who is alone, because God never intended for you and I to walk alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. Again, if two lie together, they keep warm, but how can one keep warm alone? And, and I say to you about verse 11, okay? Verse 11 requires a ring on your finger first, okay? Understand that, right? Yes, it does. It absolutely does. Yes. And if he or she comes to you and says to you, maybe let's lie together like Ecclesiastes says, then your response is this, get a Snuggie or buy a puppy or something like that, right? That's exactly right. Yes. I remember when Reba and I were dating and I said, you know, you know, you things like, hey, you want to snuggle or whatever? And I got shut down really quick by that girl on those kinds of things. And so, uh, so understand that. But it goes on to say, and though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. So, so here's my thoughts. We live in a broken world, and you say, Mark, if that's the greatest thing you had to say this morning, then, then man, it's, it, it, it's got to get better than that. But what I realize is brokenness, this sorrow comes in so many different forms. It does. For some of you, your sorrow is that you're sitting there and you're very tired because you had a sick child last night. You didn't get much sleep. And for some of you, 
that you're, you're, you're in sorrow this morning because your car only has heated seats and doesn't have cool seats. And you know it's going to be 95, and it's first world problem, right? And so I'm so sorry that you're locked into that sorrow of your life this morning. But for some of you, you lost your job this week. And it wasn't planned. And you're not old enough for retirement. And for some of you this morning, or this week, you have received some devastating news about your health. And for some of you, you woke up today still in the same dysfunctional relationship that you've been in for a while. And so what Solomon says to you and I, he says, be encouraged, God has a plan. And you think, oh yes, I love plans, we all love that, we want a plan, we want things to, get, to make our life better, to get out of this sorrow, so God has a plan. Yes, and so here's God's plan, if we really understand Ecclesiastes 4, 9 through 12, then here's God's plan. God's plan is the person sitting next to you. You say, God has to have a better plan than that, okay, right? God has to have plan B, surely God, no, God's plan is community, it really is. God's plan is community. So in those sorrows of your life in this broken world, look around this room this morning. That is God's plan. Be encouraged by that. Say, some of you are really encouraged because you said amen. Some of you are saying, oh my, I'm in worse trouble than what I was when I came in here. No, no, this is truly God's plan. And we're going to talk about that for a moment, kind of flesh that out. Because in the mess of our life, with Christ as center of our lives, we need community, we need each other. And Paul says, I purposely, he uses these words, encouragement, and what they mean to you and I. He uses the words, say, it's about community. It's about walking alongside of each other. It's about this call simply to do life together. And you say, listen, Mark, I'm okay with this community thing, and I'm all that. But when it comes to the messy parts of my life, then I would kind of rather take care of my life and everyone else take care of their own issues of life and then we can come together after that in community and from what i understand about scripture that's not community biblically at all that's not it at all that's not solomon says this that when we fall in the very thick of things we need each other we we absolutely need each other but more than i think just picking each other up when we fall but what it means to walk together in community is this That when I walk through this broken world, I don't always see things clearly. Because my perspective many times is somehow skewed by my own emotion, by my own desires, by my own lust, by the pain of my life. And I don't always see things clearly, so I'm walking around somewhat in a cloud. And when someone comes alongside of me, they help me to see the things that I'm blind to in this life. That sometimes somebody has to step into your life and say to you, I know that you're in the thick of things. You're falling. I'm going to pick you up. But I think you need to open your eyes and see what you continually trip on in life. And maybe you don't see that, but God has placed me in your life in love, not judgment, but in love and in grace to point those things out to you and to walk life out with you. That is exactly what Paul means by encouragement here. That is exactly what it means. James 5 and 16 says this, Therefore, confess your sins 
to one another, is what it says. So for a moment, could you turn to the person next to you? And no, I'm not going to do that with you this morning. You say, well, some of you, all of a sudden, your mouth got really dry. Your palms got really sweaty because you thought that's what we we're going to do. But here's what it says. And pray for one another that you may be healed. Because if you look at this text and you really digest it, what we realize is this, that healing in this life many times comes through community. And that is the word encouragement, that walking together, coming alongside of one another. It's not some three-inch relationship that you and I have through Facebook. It's not that at all. But it's picking one another up when we fall. It's saying the hard things to each other in love and not judgment. But simply, those things are flavored by grace that we speak into one another's lives. We point things out to each other that we cannot see because we're in the thick of our very lives. That is what it means to come together and walk together in love. And this is what it says. The prayer of a righteous man has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. He prayed fervently that it might not rain and for three years and six months it did not rain on the earth and then he prayed again and heaven gave rain and the earth bore its fruit verse 19 my brothers if anyone among you wonders from the truth and someone brings him back that's that's what walking together is let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sin you know what this is about this is about trusting it's about trusting i think That's what Paul means by coming alongside one another. It's about trusting broken people. That's why, that's why James mentions Elijah here. He says, okay, here's what we're going to do. We're going to break this down so it's something that you can connect with. I'm not going to make this so heavenly and above this earth that you can't connect with this person. So I'm going to give you someone that you can connect with. This is about trusting broken people. Oh, and you're looking around at each other right now and you're wondering if this God if this is God's plan then I'm not sure that God has a good plan for my life because this room is absolutely slammed packed with broken people it is it is but but here's here's what I thought this week as as I was praying through this text that because we always use this excuse you know I I can't I can't walk with this person because they have their own issues. So that somehow disqualifies them from walking with me and my own issues. And, and so you come here every Sunday morning, every day on the Lord's Day, and you're led in worship by broken people. Did you know that? Yes. You're led in worship by broken people. How many times do you get up and walk out because you see these people standing on the stage? You think, dude, I know their life, so I got to walk out because they don't have everything together. Did you know the people that we videoed for the announcements? Guess what? They're broken people. Did you know the people that stand behind the camera that video the people for the announcements are broken people? They are. Listen, this today, Matthew, you allowed Matthew to come on the stage and talk to you. Do you realize how broken Matthew is? Do you realize that? Yes. And then you sit there and you listen to me for 40 minutes. Do you realize how messed up I am? Do you realize that? Yes, what God is doing just by being here, he's taken all these excuses away from you. Well, everyone has issues. How can they help me? Because God's plan is this broken people coming alongside broken people. And in the weakness of our lives, in the brokenness of our lives, God is made strong in our lives. That's the beauty of community. I love this. That is the beauty of what we see and what we walk in. Because listen, we have been in Acts for 12 weeks. Today's the 12th week. 
And, and, and so we started, we started there in Acts chapter 1 about community. We said that Acts chapter 1 verse 8, that, of, that you receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you be my witnesses. That is the hinge pin of the New Testament. That is the bridge from the synoptic gospels to that of the rest of the New Testament. That power to be my witnesses, it, it began in community. And when we started this teaching, we had no idea exactly really where we would end up in the book of Acts. And what is beautiful, I think, about all of this, that we started in community, we end in community. Because that's what it's about. It's about you and I walking this life together. And I, and I, and I emphasize this because I know that I'm in a room full of broken human people, even me standing on the stage. And we struggle with this idea. We hide behind distrust. We hide behind our pride. We hide behind our fear. We hide behind the unknown. And that's absolutely human of us. It was modeled for us in Genesis chapter 3, verse 8. God comes down. He's looking for Adam. You knew that, you know, you knew on a Sunday morning I had to talk about Genesis, right? Yes, yes. And so he comes down looking for Adam and Eve. And, and then because he wants to walk with them as he always done, what is their response to their brokenness? What do they do? They what? Hide. So can I address this for a moment in a, a, a different approach, maybe? For all of you in the room that's struggling with hiding, for all of you in the room that's struggling with the issues of your life, and you're just going to keep it to yourself, you're not going to bother anybody else and burden anybody else with what you're struggling with this morning, for all of you that think that you really have to walk this way alone, for all of you that are afraid of somebody realizing that you are broken, as if you somehow project this, this persona of yourself that you are perfect, for all of you that are dealing with fear in your life, guess what? You're human. So take a breath for a moment. You're human. You're human. Why when you have that moment in your life where you decide, you know what, I'm going to truly walk this out with someone else and you, you meet with someone and Man, you're, you're nervous about the conversation and how it's going to go, and you're not sure how they're going to respond. And, 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 you, and you've got to tell somebody what's going on in your life, and you've got to open up, and, and you really need some help, and you're at that moment of des- desperation, and, and your heart is racing. Why is all that going on in your body physically and mentally and emotionally? Because it goes back to the brokenness of our lives in Genesis 3. From that point, we've been hiding from God because we don't know what to expect. And simply take a breath this morning because you're human. You're human. But God, from the very beginning, designed you to walk with Him. God, from the very beginning, designed you and I to walk in community with one another. Can I continue reading in Acts? Thank you. Here it is, Acts chapter 7. And on the first day of the week, this is like, this is Sunday, the first day of the week. I, I loved it because I began to think about church when I read this. So I began to, to, to read about church and about the early church. Do you know what time they usually met for worship on the first day of the week? They met before dawn. Now that's early, early service, isn't it? Yeah. If we had an early service before the sun comes up, that's when they met. They met early that morning. So on the first day of the week, 
when we were gathered together to break bread. The word we is there because we know Luke is the writer, so Luke is evidently there with them. When we were gathered together breaking bread, they would always have communion when they gathered together because they would celebrate the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Christ because this is very much on their mind. They're not far from that event and we can connect because this is church. This is really church is what this is. Paul talked with him intending to depart on the next day, but he prolonged his speech until midnight. Never complain about how long I preach or Travis, okay? Understand that, all right? Never, because this guy starts before dawn and he ends at midnight. That is a marathon, okay? I have a lot to say. I'm not sure I could even feel all of that time, okay? Understand that? But he starts before dawn. He ends at midnight. That is a long, that's one series in one day is what that is. Yes. And the scripture says that there were many lamps in the upper room where we were gathered. So here's my next thought this morning to share with you today. It says, a gathering, an opportunity for encouragement. He talks about the ministry of encouragement. Then Paul takes us to church. So we have to think about church for just a moment and what this looks like for you and I. And sometimes, well... Church is where I come to get blessed. You know, that's, that's what this is about. Church is where I come to draw closer to God. But if we believe truly that God is everywhere, we understand that about his characteristic and his nature, his attribute, that God is everywhere, then really are you any more closer to God? Are you any more closer to God in this place than you will be Tuesday morning if you have tomorrow off on your job? It's a thought. Are you any more closer to God in this place, then you will be tomorrow sitting somewhere, maybe in a park, eating watermelon and grilling hamburgers. Are you any more closer than that? We'll say, well, Mark, that's what we come to church for. We come to church to draw closer to God. That's what this is all about. And so this brings me to a scripture in the book of Hebrews, chapter 10. In verse 22, and it says this to us. It says, let us draw near. But that's not about church attendance. That's not about it. Because in a moment, it's going to specify what that is about. It says, let us draw near with a true heart. So it's about our heart, not necessarily location. Understand that. But it's about our heart. Let us draw, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. So what this is about, this is about our heart and not a place. What's going on in our heart? As our heart draws near to him, then we begin to pursue, as we're going to read in a moment, love and good works. We're going to begin to pursue love and good works within our lives. We're going to reject those things that would rob from our life love and good works. And then God begins to change the way we think. So that's spiritual growth in our lives, that our hearts draw near to Him. Then we begin to pursue that of love and good works. God begins to change the way we think. We begin to grow in Him. And He goes on to say, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for He who promised is faithful. That profession of good faith is that it, it christ paid it all that you and i don't have to work the rest of our life for that goodness in god god's love and his grace but that's already been paid for you and i and so we have this growth within our life our heart draws near to god we pursue the th- love and good works within our life we reject those things that are not those things within our life he changes the way we think what does this have to do with community look at verse 24 it has everything to do with it and let us consider how to stir one another to love and good works yes well wait a minute that that i that i'm i'm moving toward god that that i'm 
I'm simply, my heart is now focusing on things that are of love and good works. And, and God is changing the way I think. Isn't that enough? No, no, the writer says, no, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works is what he's saying. Yes, that it is my place to simply be involved in your life is exactly what it is. As messy and inconsistent as it is in all of our lives, it is my place to involve myself in love and grace without any kind of judgment in your life to simply say that I am helping you and you are helping me to stir up love and good works in my life. That is community. Yes. Well, what does this have to do with church? Let's read on. Verse 25. Not neglecting to meet together. Oh, there is the church verse, isn't it? Yes. Pastors always throw that out, especially on holidays when people are away. Let's, let's read this verse. Let's load guilt on people. That's not what this is about. Not neglecting to meet together as in the habit of some. But here's the word again. Encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day dawning near. It's about encouragement. That I come here, that I draw closer to God, my heart closer to God. It's not that physically I have to come here to do that. It's not like tomorrow, if you want to be close to God, you got to stop by and hang out in the lobby for a while, you know, because can I tell you something? Tomorrow, the doors will be locked. They really will be. So you'll have to meet him in the parking lot. But, but understand this, that it's not that at all. But when I come here, I draw close to God. Yes, I, my heart does. It's not about the building, the space, but it's about my heart. Then what happens is this, that it begins to stir those things in my heart that of love and good works. And what that does, it causes me to begin to reject the things that are not that in my life. My, my way of thinking begins to change. And then what I'm drawn to after that is I'm drawn to you. Isn't that amazing that I'm drawn to you, that I'm drawn to God, which draws me to you to stir up those things in your life and you're to stir up those things in my life. And we consider one another and that's community. That's church. That is really church. All the things that we do here, all the elements that we put together on a, on a Sunday morning, yes, that's part of what we do. A lot of it tradition, we could do some of it, and we don't have to do all of it. That's, that's, that's true. And I don't, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. But what I'm saying is, if we're not coming here, and our hearts are not changed, if something is not stirred within inside us for love and good works, if God is not, and we're rejecting the things that are not that in our life, and we're not allowing the Lord to change our mind, and when, when God changes our mind, it changes the focus of our life, from ourselves to others and so it becomes my place to simply work and to inject myself in your life and community to stir you up to love and good works that's it that's church end of story amen let's pray go home that's it right yes we've made something so simple so difficult i think Can I continue reading? Thank you. Verse 9. Okay? I love it because this is a great story. Here it is. This is one of my favorite stories out of the entire Bible. And a young man named Eutychus, that is his name, Eutychus, okay, um, sitting at the window, sank into a deep sleep as Paul talked still longer. Now, I really wanted to title the message, The Perils of Sleeping in Church. I really did. That's, I, I was so tempted to do that, but I thought, no, 
because you would come in here and you would get the bulletin in the lobby, the notes, you would see that and then you would leave. So I, I want to at least get you in here first. And being overcome by sleep, he fell down from the third story and was taken up dead. But Paul went down and bent over him, taking him into his arms and said, do not be alarmed for his life is in him. And when Paul had gone up and had broken bread and eaten, he conversed with them a long while until daybreak and so departed. And they took the youth away alive and were not a, a little comforted. Together we celebrate life. Now, he, here's, I, I begin to think this because every time we come to this place together, then this has to be a place of life. This has to be a place that we confront in the spirit. We talked about last week about the seven sons of the high priest who simply confront the evil spirit and they get mastered and they run out naked and they run out wounded. So this has to be a place where we confront death in the spirit. This has to be a place where we confront spiritual battles with the Holy Spirit that flows through our lives. And so understand that, that we have to confront death, that we're always to speak life here. This is simply about what we do in church, but I think it has to translate into our relationships. It has to translate into the community that you and I live in. So what happens is this, that when I have the opportunity to open the door of your life, and when I look into your life, and and, and when I see that your house is a wreck, I'm not talking at a physical house, you know, because some you're thinking, man, Mark, you know, have you really been to my house lately? No. But when, when I see that your life is a wreck and it's dirty, there's confusion and your life smells like death, that it is my place to speak life into you. That the first thought that comes to our head is I can't step in because this is not my house. I can't step into that place. And you look at this Eutychus, you think, well, he shouldn't have been sleeping in church. That's his own problem. He falls out of the window and dies, you know. That's his issue. He shouldn't have been sleeping to begin with. Let's get back to church. That's what's important. But what does Paul do? Paul takes the opportunity to stop the meeting. He walks down. He scoops him up. In fact, what he does, he's like the, the, the prophet of old that he lays over his body. He scoops him up into his arms and he speaks life back into him. It is my place. It is your place in community to step into the darkness of other people's lives and to speak life to them. And you don't have to be perfect Because God's plan is broken people simply uh, walking alongside broken people. So don't use that excuse because that doesn't work. And then what I love about this is after Paul simply speaks life back in him and says, Hey, his life is in him. Don't be afraid. Don't fear. Understand that. What does Paul do? Paul gets back up. He goes upstairs. He gets something to eat. And he starts back in his conversation with them. Why? It's like nothing happened. Because it should be part of our DNA every time we come together. And every time we meet together for coffee. And every time we have a moment of discipleship. And every time that we have a conversation in the community. It should always be our DNA to speak life into others. It should be part of what we do. Verse 17, i got to hurry because i got to finish the story. It's a great story. Now from Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. And, and when they had come to him, he said to them, You yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility, with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plot of the Jews how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. 
And now behold, I'm going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit. The Spirit is drawing me. He's saying, it's not my choice to leave you, but the Lord is moving me on, is what he's saying. Not knowing what will happen to me there, except, that's a huge word, I circle that, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me that in every city that imprisonment and affliction await me. My last, my next to the last thought, be encouraged, suffering will come your way. That's weird, isn't it? Yes. Mark, why do you say that? Because that doesn't even, that doesn't even flow well, you know? Be encouraged, suffering will come your way. Because what I realize about following God, and I know that a lot of you understand this too, but maybe, maybe you need to hear this again to, to understand the way God works in our lives, is that, that many times that God does call us, He's constrained, constrained by the Holy Spirit, yet that leads to imprisonment and affliction. It's not as if somehow God is surprised every time that Paul finds himself in jail or simply running from a riot. It's the beauty of suffering in our lives. It's the beauty of suffering in our lives. Because this is some real solid reform teaching here that you need to hear. It's how God works in our lives. That when am I leaning into God more? Is it when I'm on top of the world and I think I've got myself there and I've done everything right and I put everything together so this has all been within my power? Is that when I'm leaning into God more or when I'm facing issues and when I'm desperate for God, when I'm desperate for answers in my life, I'm desperate for someone or something greater than myself, that's when I lean into God greater. So there's a place for suffering in our lives. I know that doesn't sell books. I realize that, you know? I know that. Yeah. It, it, you, don't, you, don't, you, don't get, you don't get a TV show possibly on a, on a Christian network by simply talking to people about how there's a place for suffering within our lives. But look at what Paul says. He's constrained by the Spirit. He knows the Holy Spirit has already told him what is going to happen in his life for the furtherance of the gospel. So how do you approach life encouraged knowing that suffering is part of a broken world. How do you do that? Paul says, hang on, I got this. Listen to what I'm about to say. And so here's what he says. Verse 24, But I did not account my life of any value nor as precious as myself. Underline that, because that is so powerful. If only I may finish my course in the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And how? And now behold, I know that none of you among whom I am going are gone about proclaiming the kingdom, will see my face again. Therefore, I testify to you that this day I am innocent of the blood of all, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. The first is, how do you face life in a broken world and still be encouraged? It's this, it comes down to the question of value and purpose of my life and your life. How do I value my own life? Paul says, I do not account my life as any value or as precious to myself. And some say, well, Paul has a self-image issue. You know, he needs counseling. He really does. Yeah. He needs a course. He needs a five-step thing because he has a self-image issue. That's exactly what he does. No, that's not it. But he does not account his life of any value in light of the gospel. Because the gospel is preeminent within his life. Yeah. Value. Listen, let me tell you something about value. Value is set by something or someone other than the item being valued. Realize that. Value is set by something or someone other than the item being valued. You can sit here all day 
and think that your house is worth $500,000? You can think, you say, Mark, well, I wish it was. But you can think that all day long. You can. But, but the reality of that is the value is set by comparables and market. It is. So, it's, so the, value of something is always set by, the value of something is always set by some kind of system or something outside that thing being valued. And so what he's saying is, is, in light of the gospel, my life is nothing. In light of what God has called me to and the purpose of my life, it really means nothing. Because this is the thing. Because this is bigger than me. This is bigger than me. So in life, when I face struggles, in life, when I face really hard times in my life, when I know that God is drawing me close to him, when things are painful in those moments, what I realize on and I'm encouraged in this, that life is bigger than me. It's not all about me in this moment, but it's about a greater purpose, and that is God's purpose in my life. And so in the middle of things seemingly coming apart, I can simply be encouraged in that because it's not about me. It's bigger than me. It is absolutely bigger than me. And I think there are times in life when we come alongside of each other, yes, but when that of the Holy Spirit comes alongside of us and He strengthens us and He reminds us, hey, you may be going to this city and you might end up in prison and there's going to be affliction to you, but understand, be encouraged because this is about something bigger than you. The second thought is this. Verse 28, pay close, pay careful attention to yourselves, Paul says, and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among you, your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw you away, draw you away the, to draw away the disciples after them. And, and I thought, man, we could preach a whole series on that, but we can't right now. Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. I underline the next part because it's what stuck out to me. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those that are sanctified. How do you stay encouraged in a broken world? How do you do that? You understand your value and your purpose. I think a second thing is this. That the gospel is a place of safety in a broken world. He says, I commend you to, the, to God and to the word of his grace. He's never said, I commend you to my words. He never says that. He says, I never commend you to Apollos or Peter. I never commend you to the baptism of John. I definitely don't commend you to the wolves that are going to come up or the twisted words of men in, in, in the middle of the church. I don't do that, but to the gospel, which is the only thing that remains. To the gospel, that is the only thing that remains stable in the world. But he doesn't just say the world, but he says it's the only thing that remains stable even in the church when things get twisted in the church. It's the gospel. That becomes the only safe place. And because of that, it builds us up. Not just to survive, but it says that we live in the inheritance of all those that are sanctified. Verse 33. I covet one, no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands minister to my necessities and to those who were with me in all things I have shown you that by working hard in this way we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said it is more blessed to give than to receive. So how do you stay encouraged in a broken world? One, you understand your purpose and your value. Two is this, 
that you go to the gospel. It is the only safety in a broken world. And three is this, the focus of our journey in this broken world is others and not us about us. He, he quotes Jesus, is what he does. Yeah. It's more blessed to give than to receive. Yeah. Here's what this is. It's the economy of our own hearts. Yes, that it's not about us. It's about, it's, it's more than that. It's how I view things. It's how I view the resources and the things that God has given us. You say, oh, here it comes now. You know, here comes the thing on tithe and offering. You know, wait on. No, no. Can I tell you that's important, but it even surpasses that. It goes beyond that. It is the foundation of tithing and offering. It's, it's lifestyle and mindset. It's how I see the things in my life that God has blessed me with and how I see the purpose of those things that God has blessed me with in my own life. It's the economy of my heart. When I live with the reality that everything I have belongs to God, nothing belongs to me, that I'm a steward of everything in this life, whether it's just my own time, or whether it's my words or my thoughts, I'm a steward of all of those kinds of things, or whether it's the physical blessings of God, that when I realize they all belong to God, then when I am blessed and I have them, God is good. But when I don't have them, I'm still blessed and God is still good. Because they never belong to me to begin with. So I go through life, living, hand, living life open-handed and not closed-fisted. Man, I don't know about you, but that's just encouraging as heck. I don't, I don't know. You know, it really is. To, to say this, that this is the way I face a broken world, that I understand my value and my purpose in life, that I, I realize that the gospel is safety for me, that, that I realize that this is not about me, but it's about others. It's the economy of my very heart and how I see the things that God has blessed me with. So I finish with the last two verses. Verse 36 and says this, And when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. And it says that there was much weeping on the part of all. They embraced Paul and they kissed him. Being sorrowful most of all because of the word he had spoken, <clears throat> excuse me, that they would not see his face again, they accompanied him to the ship. Again, the Bible is written to you and I to read with great imagination, not putting things there that are not there, but read with great imagination. I have this vision. He's called them together in a room. They have walked through, as the saying is, thick and thin, man. They have truly encouraged one another. They have walked alongside one another in community. They have escaped plots together. They have snuck Paul out the back door so many times, you know, to keep people from killing him. They have shared meals together. They've been there when Paul has, the power of the Spirit has raised the dead through his life. They've, they're the ones that cut up his garments and distributed them to the sick and saw them healed. And I see this moment that they're gathering around him and 
they're kneeling and they're praying and, and then they just all embrace him. I don't know, is this the first group hug ever? I don't know, but it, it could be. And I thought, and this is what I wrote in my journal, pray for one, cultivate two, and live in relationships that result in much weeping. Because relationships that result in much weeping involve risk, that I'm going to risk loving you and you're going to risk loving me. And the reality is I have the propensity to harm you and you do me, but I'm going to take that risk. It's going to involve time. Yeah, it's going to involve some of your time. Do you know time is the greatest gift that you can give anyone, basically? Because you can make more money and you can do things like that. But the bank of time only has so much in it and you only basically take withdrawals. So it's going to involve time. It's going to involve trust. That God's plan for your life involves the people sitting around you this morning. And then it's going to require much grace and forgiveness. He said, yeah, you don't know this person that I've been hanging out with. You don't realize how much grace and forgiveness I have to show them. Can I tell you? They're probably having to show a lot more back to you because of your pride. Community is to come alongside one another. It's the act of walking things out together. This is truly what I believe Acts 20 is. It's the fleshing out of the idea of community. It's more than me coming to you and saying, good job. Pat on the back. Way to go. Oh, it goes far beyond that. But it comes to the point of walking with you and you walking with me. And when we trip, we pick up each other. But yet... We continually trip over the same thing in life. And your place and my place is to say to each other, hey, you see that? That's what's tripping you up in life. You can't see it because you're in the middle of the fight. You're in the fog. But in love, I want to point that out to you. It's the points that Paul has given us that even we live in a broken world, we are encouraged when we understand our value in life and what our purpose is. It's, it's to understand that the safest place in life is in the gospel because it builds us up and encourages us. I would tell you today, if you're really struggling in life and you feel really spiritually weak, can I tell you what to do? Get in the gospel. Open the scriptures. And you're going to find great strength for your life. How do I have encouragement in a broken world this morning? That what I realize is my focus is not on me, but it's on others. It's the economy of my heart that I live life open-handedly. And so in light of that, when I have things, man, God is amazing. And when I don't have things, God is absolutely still amazing. 
called to live in community with one another. So would you bow your heads for a moment of prayer this morning as we draw a close to our study of the book of Acts together. Father, over these weeks, you have given us so much to think on. Father, through me and the other ministers that you have challenged us, I've been greatly challenged personally. Lord, my my view on community, my responsibility to others, and allowing others to take some responsibility for me has been a challenge. Father, you have pushed us through this study to some limits in our life when it comes to trust. Father, there are many, you know, because these are your children, Lord, not mine, but you know in this room that there are many of them that struggle trusting you, much less trusting someone else that's broken. Yet you've reminded us over and over that your plan involves broken people walking alongside broken people. That is your call, Lord. That we find ourselves encouraged even though we face by your direction struggles in our lives because that pushes us to you to walk with you in a greater way. So, Father, for all the things that you have dropped in our heart and our soul, may we walk in these things. For what you have said to us today, may we continue in the things that we have heard from your So, Lord, change our hearts and draw us close to you. Draw us closer than ever before this morning. May we surrender the things that should be surrendered. You've taken us from life to death, from death to life. And, Lord, you take us back to death again and surrendering those things to you. And we give you thanks for your goodness in our lives.